Thank you so much for being here. Uh, and as we were just introduced, very excited to speak with Mark D'Amelio, the CEO of D'Amelio Brands, about how you turn your social fandom into a sustainable business. And as was mentioned, my name is Mark Stimberg. I'm the senior media reporter at Adweek. Very excited to be here. Mark, how you doing? I'm great. Mark, um, thank you. I think it would be a helpful sort of intro. I would imagine most people here in the audience are familiar familiar with your daughters and their social media fame, but D'Amelio Brands as a company is, I think, about a year old. So maybe you could, in a nutshell, sort of introduce what it is and some of the current products that are on offer. Yeah, we started, both of my daughters, uh, Dixie and Charlie, started getting popular on TikTok, and now they've done everything from YouTube, all kinds of social media, and they started off just doing brand endorsement deals, and as we started to do more deals, I came from the brand side. I had my own clothing brand back in the day, and it seemed like a natural progression for us to start our own brands company. And I think it's pretty interesting. One of the things that you were telling me before was, of course, I think Charlie and Dixie have something like 200 million followers on TikTok, but you'd said kind of the core challenge facing D'Amelio Brands is that followers are not customers, right? And so that's what we're here a little bit to talk about. What sort of strategies have you employed and, and have your daughters employed when it comes to translating that social media following into a consumer base? Yeah, you, you have to have the full yeah, you have to have the full package, right? When I first started my clothing brand, I had really good product, but I didn't have any influence and, and there was all kinds of roadblocks. So it, it's you, you have to do a little bit of both and you just because you have a following doesn't necessarily translate to uh, sales, and especially when you're doing something that might be outside of the normal uh, purchase of my daughter's followers. They have a lot of very young followers, so we're trying to create a, a, an overall customer base that might not even know who the girls are. So you're trying to reach beyond their sort of social media following and the people who are already familiar with them. Of course, easier said than done, but what are some of the strategies that you employ for sort of breaking beyond what is admittedly a very large initial market or at least a, a large audience? How do you really go about translating that and finding those people who might be interested in making that transaction? I think everyone early on sold to retail or had their own brick and mortar. And then once Shopify and platforms came around, everyone switched off to being selling direct to consumer. And what we're, what we're doing is we're kind of, uh, and we're not the first to do this, but we're definitely looking at brick, going back to brick and mortar and, and we're going to, uh, we'll be showing at the Magic Trade Show this August in Las Vegas and we'll have a big booth there. And we're not just going to depend on, on the, the platforms to, to connect us to our, our customers. We have to partner with retailers and do a little bit of everything to, to expand our distribution. When I do want to get into that a little bit more later, some of the other channels and strategies that you're going to be using, but one of the things that you'd mentioned to me was this idea of, again, you don't have followers, or followers don't make customers, you need to have community, is what you'd said to me. What are some of the methods you get or you have for cultivating that community beyond these brick and mortar relationships or touring? How do you actually create that sort of tight-knit group or find them? I think the days of someone going on, either Dixie or Charlie, going on social media and holding up the product and selling it, yeah. it it's not genuine. It, 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 and, and I think the fans and the followers see through that. I'd much rather create, 
help them create products that they actually love and enjoy and wear every day. And then you, normally what will happen is someone in the comments will say, where did you get that or what is that? And that's where I think it's a more organic way to really be, to, to really engage potential customers than to hold up and be a pitch person. I don't think neither of the girls want, nor do I want to do that. Yeah. Well, I want to get into that a little bit later as well, this idea of how can you convey authenticity and quality and, and still sort of being, you know, using a sort of celebrity endorsement type model. But I want to talk a little bit about, you know, Dixie and Charlie are no strangers to collaborations. Like you've said in the past, they've worked with a number of brands. But with D'Amelio Brands, this really gives you all the opportunity to have complete creative control over product, over marketing, over everything. Now that you have this opportunity, what are some of the things that you want to do differently in terms of that product development and brand building that maybe you didn't have that full creative control to do when you were working with a, a partner? Yeah, I mean, we're definitely not moving away from endorsements, but I think to have that creative control and, and to really have a conversation where, where Dixie and Charlie could sit with the designer and talk about the certain benefits of, of a shoe. And, and, and one of the things we've really got right was the fit and the comfort level. And, and those things don't normally happen when, when you're sitting as a pitch person for another company. And then, and then a lot of times you're, you're subjected to the marketing department or, or some sort of ad agency and, and, and they don't really necessarily get the consumer and, and they don't get the, the fan of, or, or the follower of Dixie and Charlie. And inevitably what they say is, hey, why don't you hold up this product doing a TikTok dance? And, and you know how many times Charlie and Dixie have looked at me like, Dad, get me out of this meeting. Like you know when they're making that suggestion yeah. that you uh, need to be working with a different agency. Or and most, at that and most companies let them l listen to them, and they've got, and both girls have gotten really good at conveying that message to pretty high up executives within companies. Now they just have to convince. Now we just have to convince each other. It's a lot easier. Well, and and, and you'd mentioned earlier that you have a, a fair bit of experience with retail. So this is a natural sort of blending of a skill set that you've been involved in for most of your career. And then of course, using the natural sort of branding asset that, that your daughters are, in a, are able to provide you. But I'm curious, what are some of the, I mean, from however many years ago it was, I want to get a sense of how retail marketing has changed since then or what you've had to do differently or maybe some things that you've had to unlearn. Yeah, I mean, I think that when back 25 years ago when I started my first clothing brand, you had you couldn't engage with a consumer. Think about that. The only way you could do it is you first had to walk into a retailer and sell the buyer on your concept, your ideas, and you were competing with, for the same floor space at Macy's or Bloomingdale's in the, in the, in the States, you were competing against Ralph Lauren and all these guys. Now, you can bring your product directly to the consumer. So, um, that that's something that is is amazing, and and I think we've seen small companies that have really incredible products just break through that. There, there's not that barrier of entry there was back in the day, where you kind of it was it was it was almost a fortress to get into some of these retail stores. Sure. Yeah. So it's almost as if the nature of the product building. I'm sure while that has evolved, it's really the sort of advertising and marketing element where there's been the biggest sort of sea change. And that, I imagine, would be a pretty big learning curve, except for you have two experts in your house, and I imagine yes. that that's helped a Absolutely. lot. Absolutely. Okay. Um, well, and speaking of those experts, 
talking about celebrity endorsements here. I mean, that is sort of what Charlie and Dixie are. An endorsement like that is going to get a pop of exposure, right? But if you want to have a sustainable business, you're going to need to create a quality product, and you're going to need to convey that <clears throat> through your marketing, right? So how is it that D'Amelio Brands does try to convey through its marketing that this is a quality product rather than a commodity with a really big name kind of cosign? Yeah, I mean, shoes is a t our first major product launch was D'Amelio Footwear, and it's not easy. I mean, men and women, we all have make footwear choices. We know what sizes, what size we are in certain brands. So what we're doing is we're kind of taking a multi-prong approach. We're doing everything from pop-up shops. We're doing a pop-up shop at the Grove in LA through the month of September. We really need to engage our, not just fans and followers, we really need to engage customers. And, and what we're finding is online and, and direct consumer marketing through a vehicle like Shopify is great, but you really have to have people touch it and feel it. And we're open to everything. I mean, I'm looking at mobile retail units to do a college tour where we actually run around the, the country and, and Dixie and Charlie pop in at certain spots. Um, doing trade shows, as I said, we're, thinking we're gonna do a pop-up shop in New York City with Shopify in, the, in, the, in uh, probably spring 2024. So we got a lot of things. But ultimately, with footwear, people have to try it on, yeah. feel it, and, and like it. And it's a little bit more difficult to do that on, online. What's the sort of decision-making process as to, okay, obviously our bread and butter is social media, but we understand that in order to reach new audiences, we are going to have to get out in front of people. How are you making determinations as to whether you're doing a pop-up activation or whether you're going to a college campus? What are sort of the variables that you're considering when, I, I'm sure you're trying to play to your daughter's strengths or avoid potential weaknesses. What's going through your head when you make those decisions? It's tough because you could, you know, there's a customer acquisition cost mm. that come when you when you advertise through a platform, you can kind of know, all right, it cost me $50, $100, and you can figure that out. Some of this other, and, and I know we're going to talk about some traditional marketing, but things like a pop-up shop, we just kind of have to keep expenses low, leverage our, you know, and go up to, I mean, we're having these conversations with, with retail uh, retail spots right now and saying, look, we're going to drive traffic to your mall. There's there's going to be an advantage, but we can't build out a, a full retail space for a startup. So there, there are some financial limitations we have. Yeah. Do you, I mean, and on that point, do you feel like there's sometimes, it, I, I speak with companies all the time that are like, we're a 100 year old startup or so, you know, some oxymoron like that. Do you feel like there's any sense of you know, a bit of cognitive dissonance, you having this massive following, and yet, for purposes, I would imagine, of financial responsibility, and you have to sort of operate as if maybe you're a, a shoe startup just like any other. I mean, how do you kind of like weigh the, the, the practicality of being a, a new business with the fact that you have hundreds of millions of eyeballs on you? Yeah, it's tough, because I think people read the articles, and, you know, Charlie and Dixie were mentioned in Forbes magazine, and so, but you just have to, you have to, be the voice of the company, and we have we have uh, investors, and we have to we have a fiduciary responsibility to them, and we have to say, hey, this is what we're dealing with, and we have to negotiate as we as we go. But some where I, right before I got on, I was texting saying someone was like, should we do this? And I'm like, we, we we probably have to. I think it's a good look, but it's it's hard to quantify an ROI sometimes. Mm, absolutely. Well, and I'm curious. One of the things that I cover a lot in in my line of reporting, I think, is is very pertinent to this particular issue, which is that obviously the D'Amelio daughters have 
made their name on social media platforms and as the platforms give, they can also take, right? We've seen Instagram, for instance, sort of change its priority from photography to video uh, and in, in the process destroy a lot of photography-based businesses, right? So the platforms work for you until they don't. How are you navigating that reality? Is there an effort to sort of move your audience off of platforms into a place where you can have a more direct relationship with them? And, and what does that look like? I mean, all the platforms have been great to us, but in full transparency, we're the flavor of the week or the year or whatever. So, and we have to protect ourselves. So we're, you know, we're doing everything from traditional stuff like email marketing and owning our own database with SMS and, and, and really, but kind of staying neutral. Like we did, understanding that TikTok has been great to us, but they're a business trying to create revenue for themselves and, and but we, we try to, um, we, we don't make favorites. We try to stay neutral and, and if they need something from us to help them and, and in turn hopefully they, they help us when they can. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, you mentioned one of the ones, uh, one of the sort of alternative channels is email. I know, again, so I come from a digital media background where I'm writing about publishers. That's a very sort of unsexy platform to move audience onto, but it's one of the few where there's no algorithmic, you know, intermediation. Uh, you can do it for very little money. Is that a large practice for y'all? I would imagine, given the sort of demographic of you know, the D'Amelio audience, maybe email's not it's a, incredibly it's a tough popular. one. Because, yeah. I mean, I'm, we're all unsubscribing to things all the time, so it's a tough balance. You don't, you have this this person who actually put out money to buy a product from you, and you, you kind of want to be respectful, but you also want to give them opportunities, and it is a way for us to offer them certain things that we wouldn't offer maybe on Twitter that would make it a more personal offer. So it, we use it, but I definitely... We're, we're cognizant of the fact not to abuse it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and you're not on Twitter, are you? Or is there, or is there really a marketing push on Twitter? We, I, we, we tweet all the time. Okay. Yeah. I definitely, I mean, I, I certainly think of Instagram and TikTok for sure, but I guess cross-platform is the way to go. Um, and speaking of the demographic, of course, that you're trying to appeal to, Gen Z, I would imagine, makes up a large part of it. Sustainability, especially when it comes to their products, is a, is a, is a core concern. What sort of efforts are you putting into place to try and make sure that D'Amelio Brands is seen as and, and is a sustainable sort of carbon conscious brand? Yeah, I think one of the things that it was the girls have said all the time is like every, so many fashion companies are in this fast fashion thing and it's, and I think that creates an abundance of unneeded products in your closet. So we're really looking at staple items and staple colors, rather have someone buy a boot, a black boot from us so they don't need you know the next best thing but we're doing everything from all the things that you need to do that, that we didn't even think about from recycled materials on our boxes if you look at our boxes we have a uh, a handle on it so when you buy it at a retail store there's no need for to put a bag on top of it um, all of the, the the bags that house the shoes that protect the shoes are all biodegradable hmm. um, you know the girls are Look, I'm older, and, and but the girls definitely keep me up on making sure that we do things the right way, and they, they're, they're in those meetings, and even, even the things from the, 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 the stick that's normally sometimes plastic within the shoe that keeps its form, we, we do not use plastic in, in that, so. 
I mean, that's it sounds like a, a pretty substantial array of initiatives in order to kind of keep things as sustainable as possible. Is that a part of the marketing at all, or is that ever kind of cross? I mean, no, that could be I, an entire I, campaign. I, on I think it's what you should do as a company, and, and it's almost like I, I would never tout something that I think we should be doing. Mm. But you asked a question, so I told you. What we got. <laughs> yeah, right. Table stakes. You got there, and you're being very confident <laughs> about doing something everyone expects you to do. That can uh, can kind of wind up uh, going poorly. Um, and I want to get into, obviously, D'Amelio Brands started off with shoes. Makes a lot of sense. Where do you go from here, and, and how do you try to balance, you know, obviously kind of harnessing what makes Charlie and Dixie special, but also having to move farther and farther away from, you know, shoes or clothes or makeup? Yeah. How do you think about that process? Well, I mean, one of the things we, we, we definitely looked at are things that are kind of outside the box. Um, people were surprised that we went to shoes first and not makeup um we are doing um and i can announce this here we're doing a pimple patch uh brand called zits all right and we just got the nba license so we'll be making hopefully toronto raptors stuff so they're little skin patches for acne that that are fully medicated that have and we're doing so i no one knows we're doing an nba license and we have a food deal that we're going to launch with a major u.s retailer that's coming out uh that will launch it in september so, and that's it. We don't want to. We don't want to be. That's it. Do, do, no more ever for a while. Okay. We're, we got it's, it's it, shoes by sure itself it's is a yeah. is a huge undertaking. Well, and, and how did the, the 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 food element? I would imagine Charlie and Dixie have some input in there. I know you probably can't spoil everything, but is it like a favorite food of theirs or? You know, I, how does we this, how do we wanted thing, we wanted products that weren't just you know we talk about doing potential dance stuff for Charlie, and then it just made sense. My, my wife Heidi's in the audience. She was on, in Dancing with the Stars, and she has her own platform. So I want to do things that we could do as a family. Mm -hmm. And you know, she's uh, Cajun from uh, Louisiana. I'm Italian American, so food's always been a big part of our lives. So it just seemed that was a natural progression for us. Gotcha. It does make sense. It is D'Amelio brand. Yes, right? exactly. Okay. Well, and thank you so much, Mark, and thank you everybody else for being here. We really this appreciate it. This is awesome. Your Thanks, time. Mark. Appreciate it. Take care, everybody. I don't know.